Go ahead. We'll do it like last time. Okay, nice job. There's so much awesome stuff up here to give away to the community for outreach. This is a good thing to have to wait. You know, uh, let people come in off the platform in aisles like this because there's so much good stuff going on. That's awesome. Something else that's really good uh, is the fact that you, that you allow people to come up here and employ their gifts, like these young people who are giving their time and their effort. I mean, they don't just walk up here and throw this stuff together. I mean, just like the worship team every Sunday, it takes a lot of time and practice and effort, hard work and dedication. And allowing people to employ their gifts is a part of taking part in who they become. It's like a ladder that you're kind of, kind of climbing throughout your life. And God, you know, if you're allowed to employ your gifts, one thing begets another, begets another, and, and that's how God begins to, begins to work in our lives. And so that, that's really neat. I do have a text from uh, Pastor Chris that he texted me between services. Let's see. I really like pizza. No, not, not, that, not that one. Um, okay, here it is. Would Marshall Milton please shave my head the next Sunday I'm there? Okay. Let's, no, he didn't say that. I'm just kidding. Um, what, what he really said, I'm making all that up. What he really said, it was, uh, thank you for your prayers. I know it was mentioned earlier, but that uh, he had another family emergency and needed to be there with his family during a time of loss again. But thank you for his prayers, and he misses everyone and loves you and has been praying for all of you. And so... He's a, he is a great pastor. That's, that's okay. I was waiting for that. That's, that's good. He is. He is top-notch. Uh, and he has a great church. So it's a cyclical thing. It's a, it's a great thing to be a part of a moving church. And a key component to any church, to any life, is to pursue, I mean legitimately, pursue the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is the gift of himself, very simply, the gift of himself, completely, fully. David Wilkerson put it this way. He said, when God gives his glory, he gives himself. He cannot parcel himself out into pieces. No man receives just a portion of God, but all that he or she wants. The one who receives his love, God's love, also gets his mercy, he or she gets his holiness, and his strength. The one who receives his mercy also gets his love, and all else that is the fullness of God. It is to experience all of who, who God really is, and what he has for us. Now, Throughout the Bible, there are a number of parallels between God filling the Old Testament temple with his glory that we read about in the Old Testament, and then what happened at the day of Pentecost when God sent his Holy Spirit to be with his believers. An example of this would be God's glory in Solomon's temple. Okay? Second Chronicles 5, 12 through 14, 120 priests were praising God with trumpets. All were in unison, they were in one voice, and the temple was filled with God's glory. And then, in the book of Acts, 120 disciples were praising God in prayer, and all were in one accord. That does not mean they were in a Honda. You, you, when you have to wait and make sure that everybody laughs, you know it's not very good. You know it's not very good. I'm sorry. They were all together, they, they had one voice, and they were singing together, and this is not something that was very 
you know, super liturgical, you know, when you, when you imagine somebody, uh, a bunch of people staying together and reading something, you almost think of, you know, how boring would that be? Let's all, you know, say, but it's not at all. It, they were crying out in one voice, like worshiping, like we were doing a moment ago, or crying out to God in their own way, and then they were filled with the glory of God. You see, in the old days, in the Old Testament, God's glory was summoned through a physical vessel that was something like a ginormous tent that we read about and the way that the tabernacle and the altars were constructed in, the, in these old temples that we read about uh, in the Old Testament and that non-canonical, non-biblical, historical books will tell you about. It was legitimate, it was real, and God's presence dwelled there. But today, though we gather in a church, though we gather under tents, though we do these things, God's temple, His glory manifests itself through you. God's temple, the new temple, the temple of indwelling, the temple of purpose. God's glory wants to move through you, and God wants you to pursue his glory. The glory of God is something that has to be pursued. Leviticus 10.3, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before the people, I must be glorified. To experience God... You must first highly regard God in your life. The Hebrew word for glory literally means the weight of something, like in a figurative sense, uh, something splendorous, abundance of, abundance of honor, that, that weight, not in a heavy negative way, but just that, that honor, that presence, the glory of God. David said this when he wrote Psalms 30, 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. 63.2, he wrote this. I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Do these words describe you? Do you... Do you thirst for him? Do you, do you seek God? David here seeks to understand the weight, the weight of God's magnificence. He says, you're God, but how great are you? Show me. Not in an egotistical sense, but something, his, his heart is saying, God, show me. Let me long for you, God. Help me, God. David is longing for the Lord. There is a great need in America today to actively seek God, to long for God. I must intentionally seek God daily. The Lord is waiting for his people who are called by his name, according to his purpose, those who profess to be the light in the darkness, to say, God, no matter what it takes, I lay my life down for you. I choose to pursue you. I choose to carve out time to pursue you, to do whatever it is that you would want me to do. You see, pursuit is intentional. Oh, you might say, I'm not one of those people. You know, we, we tend to, even if inadvertently so, marginalize the few that we believe have the power and favor of God on their life. 
Maybe you know somebody like this, someone that you think has the Jesus touch, you know, the Jesus Midas touch or something. Everything they, they tend to put their hands to ends up being blessed or the words that they speak really resonate with you. Maybe you know someone like that and you think to yourself, I can't be like those people. I can't, I can't do that. Somebody once told me, well, I'm just not made that way. You know, the only difference between that person that may or may not come to your mind in this moment and you is that they have decided to spend time in the Word. They've decided to spend time in prayer, time with God. They've decided to make that in a, a, a part of their daily spiritual diet. That is the only thing that separates them, those people, those spiritual people, and you. If that's you this morning, it, it may not be. But if you're like me, you may have wondered to yourself from time to time, man, I, I, can I have that, really have that glorious, wonderful, joyous attitude in life that I've seen in somebody else? Well, the answer to that question is yes, wholeheartedly yes, if you will intentionally Pursue the glory of God. You see, a relationship, listen up, a relationship never, ever happens by accident. A relationship with God isn't by accident. An encounter can be by accident. You can walk into somebody and meet someone and say, hey, how are you? You can walk into a church service and experience God. You can pull in off the street. You can be headed to Walmart and pull into Highland Assembly and decide to attend a service and experience God. But that does not mean that you will have a relationship with him. Experience does not promise relationship. Are you with me this morning? Intentionality, pursuit, those things bring great promise in a believer's life. You don't have to seek God, but you get to seek God. We want to know him. We get to read his word. We get to spend time with him. We get to know God. It is the greatest relationship on the planet earth. It is the greatest relationship in all of existence to know him, to pursue him. The psalmist wrote in 910, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Some of you might feel like you've been forsaken this morning. You might feel like you've You've, you've hit a snag in life. You might feel like things are starting going your way or that God really doesn't care. But can I tell you something? God will never forsake you. Just because life is bad for a moment, because things get tough, does not mean he's forsaken you. Well, raising these two uh, wonderfully rambunctious kiddos, Kaiser and Keegan, and there are many times where you know, we don't want to, but we have to discipline those kids. Oh, yes. It's disciplinary time. You know, that might be a timeout or something else. You know, who knows? Um, but it might be something. I'm not sure what it would be, but it would be something. And uh, like my parents with me, you have to discipline your children. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. And God does not promise your life to be easy, but he does promise that he will not forsake you. Because I discipline my kids, does that mean I forsake them? No, I would give my very life for those darling kids. But that doesn't mean their life is going to be simple. That doesn't mean I let them get whatever they want. It doesn't mean that the road will be easy. But it does mean that I have the best intentions for them. I'm not going to forsake my kids. 
And your heavenly father isn't going to forsake you. So don't walk around like you're going to be negative all the time, like God hates you and has it out for you, like he's Zeus on Mount Olympus waiting to strike you down whenever you make a mistake. That's not the God we serve. That is the opposite of the God that we serve, the complete opposite. Negativity, negativity demeans your present state and frames your future state for the same. It defames, deconstructs your present. Are you with me? It deconstructs where you're at, and it deconstructs your future at the same time. But if you will pursue God, you will encounter a love with a heavenly Father who wants to build you up, and he wants to put you in places that you never dreamed of. Psalms 10.4, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wickedness in the world today by biblical standards wickedness. Some of the things that aren't called wicked in to, by today's standards, even when I was, it makes me feel so old to say this, but even when I was a kid, you know, back in the day when I would walk uphill both ways in the snow to get to school, um, geez, things that, that were atrocious to speak of in public 20 years ago, parade, they, they skulked in the street corners and, 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 and stayed in the shadows. But those same things today parade on Main Street and point their finger at you and dare you to call it sin. But that does not mean that those standards have changed with God. You may look at somebody else and say, they're wicked, how can they be blessed? That's not your problem. You can't get your eyes off of Jesus. My dad always said, son, you can look at me, but don't look at me too long. I'll make a mistake. Look at the Father. Look at Christ. Look at Jesus for everything that you say and do, and don't worry about what somebody else is, if they are, if, if they are perceiving to be, to be, if you perceive them to be blessed, if you perceive them to be honored, if you, if you lift them way up by your own standards and say to yourself, wow, I'm trying to live for God, but this person isn't, and look at them. I mean, your eyes are already off the mark. It's a dangerous road to destruction. The Bible says that wickedness will not pursue God. You don't need to worry about somebody else's perceived attitude and their relationship with God as it relates to you. Does that make sense? You can't determine how you walk with Christ, how you pursue God, and read the Word, and stay in tune with the Lord based on what somebody else does. Because you will always falter with what you do. Proud countenance says, I don't need to pursue God. I don't need God. A proud countenance. It is very easy for pride to slip into the human heart. You see, when times are tough, it's easy to call on God. And you should, shouldn't you? I should. I call on God all the time for any problem that I have. I mean, I get a hangnail, I call in Jesus' name. You know, I can't do anything on my own. <laughs> I'm very aware. I can't do anything on my own. I need the Lord with me. But what happens many times is when we're given a season of prosperity, and then we believe that because we have a season of prosperity, that we think that we have fully arrived, and our need for God diminishes. No, not the righteous man, not the righteous woman. No, the righteous person, irregardless of if they're in the pit or on the pinnacle, 
they know that they need to call on Christ first to pursue God with all that they have, regardless of where they're at in life. Psalms 27.10 says this, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You know, the father and mother figures are like the last people to ever leave you high and dry, for the most part, right? The way that God designed the family unit, your mom and dad, you know, aside from your spouse, are the last relationships, supposed to be the last relationships that would ever leave you hanging. But the psalmist has such love for God, has such determination to pursue God's glory, that in his heart he is writing, I am so devoted, God, that I know if my most dear and precious relationships on this planet diminish, I still will love you. I know you have my best interest in mind, God, and not the pit. Psalms 34.10 says this, The young lions lack and suffer hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Now, this doesn't mean that God gives you a brand new BMW. This does not mean that he arrives in some bottle that you can, you know, rub and a genie pops out and grants you whatever your heart desires. That's not what this verse means. This simply means you're not going to lack if you pursue God. Jesus is talking to those in Matthew, the book of Matthew, I believe it's chapter 6, and he says, he says hey, don't, don't, don't worry about if you're going to make it or not. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, by the way, but he says, he says you know what, man, I... Don't worry. The, the sparrows, they reap and they stow away in barns. And your heavenly father, they, he, he feeds them. They don't, they don't do any of that stuff. And God, my father, he takes care of them. Do not be dismayed. God has your back. It doesn't mean God gives you whatever he wants. It does mean you will not lack if you pursue him. Psalms forty sixteen. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. If you pursue God, if you pursue his word, if you pursue the things of God in your life, you're active in prayer, you wake up and you want to serve God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then God will give you gladness. God will give you peace and he will give you joy because the source of joy isn't tied to a circumstance. The source of joy is tied to Jesus Christ and what he has done for your life. Let everything else pass away and give me Christ alone, and I'll still be okay. I did this in first service, but I rhymed once again. I rhyme all the time. I'm a poet and didn't know it. It's sublime to rhyme. Okay, it's closing time. All right. Just kidding. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let me read this to you this morning. This is a verse that we love to quote. You probably know it. You've heard it before. Uh, you know, God is is talking with his, his prophet, and uh, Jeremiah, and he, he gives this wonderful promise to Jeremiah. I've prayed this over my kids and prayed this over my life and my family's life, and it's been spoken over me before. And the problem is with this verse, we're going to read it in a moment, but the problem is we stop at 11, and there are two very crucial verses that follow it that put the whole passage in context. Even though this verse is true alone, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, and that's all great. Would you receive that this morning? Would you say yes? I mean, that's, that's me. I mean, I would. Uh, I, I do. Obviously, I'm the guy preaching here, so yes, I do. But 29.12, it's followed by this. 
then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will, I will listen to you. And then Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Does God have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, hope, promise for a hope and a future for his kingdom's glory? Yes and amen. That's true if you pursue it, if you pursue God, if you stay in his word, if you wake up in the morning again and think, I want to serve God. Regardless of what happens, I want to serve God today. I want God to have all of me, all that I am. You know what? That plan, that deal that idea of destiny and purpose, the thing that you seek in your life, if you want to please God, that is only found through the intentional pursuit of God. Only found through the intentional pursuit of God. You know, we make the, we make the plans of God and the purpose of God very, like, audacious, but it's unattainable. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever thought to yourself, man, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing here? Are you with me? What am I supposed to do? Now, it's a common question to ask yourself, what do I do? God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Maybe, you're think, maybe something that comes to mind is, a, is an issue at work. Maybe there's a deal at work that you need God's wisdom on. Yeah, that's fine. Invite God to help you. He'll give you wisdom. But what we do many times is we, we take the idea of God's purpose and we attach it to some type of one moment, one fleeting decision. Or we, we take it and we thread it to one fleeting position that's here for a moment and gone five years later. And so we attach God's purposes to the, and we hang our hats on who we are in Christ on one decision. We hang our hats on what, on what we're supposed to do as we pursue God on one position. Now, does God use decisions? Does he use positions? Does he use those things? Yes, of course he does. But that's not God's overarching, large-headed, my purpose for you is. I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is. You can take this back to the Word. You can, you can take it to the bank. You can take it wherever you want. But this is the truth. I'm going to give you the secret. I'm going to give you the answer. The thing that you've been wanting to know is right in front of you. Very, very simple. There's no Bible code required. There's no crossword puzzle to do in the Word. There's, no, there's none of that. Let me tell you what the will of God is for your life. Is to pursue him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything in it. He created the mountains and he, he cut them apart and he made, made, the, made the seas and he made land rise up there and he dried it up and he made the day and night and he separated light from darkness and created all these creatures and he said it was all good but he liked something. And so he creates mankind in his own image. Does this resonate with you here this morning? God created you for one purpose, fellowship with him. 
One purpose. Everything else we do is for God's glory. It is wonderful. And yes, God gets into the detail and helps us with decisions and puts us in positions. And those are all just as much from God. But it all falls under one heading. I am created to have fellowship with God. I had a, had a, about, spent about an hour with a friend of mine who was, who was really asking this question sincerely and just said, was saying things to me like, man, I just, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing before the Lord. You know, I feel like I don't want to be a disappointment to God. You know, I don't want to disappoint him with my actions. And so I asked him the question. I said, well, I mean, are you disappointing with your actions? Are you living right for God? He said, yeah, I am. I, I really am, Josh. It's just he and I. And he said, I, I sure am. I said, okay. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, I just, I, you know, I think I should, maybe I should have some type of, he named a few positions. Maybe I should be doing these things. And I said, well, maybe. But if you're living for God, the Lord helps with the details. He begins to open doors that you can't open on your own. He begins to close doors that need to be closed that you might open on your own. But the overarching theme of your life is singular. To have community with the Father. To pursue God's glory. To want Him to exude from you in everything that you do. That God... His glory is felt that when you are having conversation with people, that they feel the presence of God, that the kingdom of heaven is transparent through you, the pursuit of God's glory. In the very same way that God dwelled in the temple of old, the very same way that he visited the 120 disciples that day on Pentecost, is the same type of glory, the same God that wants to move in you. And he wants, he wants to begin that this morning. He wants to begin that today. Don't be distracted. It is so easy in life to get distracted with the, from the things of God. And the Lord addressed that in Genesis 4-7. He was talking to Cain and Abel. You know, and, and Cain was a little upset because the Lord had favored his offering. Favored his brother's offering. And, you know, it's easy to... It's easy to believe that God favors somebody and not you. And that's just not the case. Not the case at all. God said to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? You know, if you give me your best, will I not accept you? That's what he's saying. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. So he's saying, he's saying, hey, come on. I mean, if you, if you, if you give me your life, if you don't give, that's, that's great. But if you don't give me your life, sin's waiting. It's desirous for you, God said, but you must master it. In some versions, he said, you must rule over it. Man, you can rule over. You should feel somewhat empowered by that. Circumstances don't have to control you. God has given you a light that you may stand under things that tempt you, draw you away from God. If you're spending time with the Lord, spending time in his word, the closer you are to God, the easier it is to steer away from those sinful things that, that might take you away from God's, from God's those, those detailed plans that he has for you, those blueprints. Are you with me? And the further away you get from God, like Cain, the further away you get from God, the less time you spend in prayer, the less your heart desires to please God, the, the less it desires to pursue the glory of God, the easier it is to, to succumb to some of those things that take us away. From the Lord. And you know, it's sin is so much like a like a house. 
when you walked into this church, unless you can clone yourself and walk into two different doors, you walk through one door, one set of doors, one entrance. But when you walk into the church, there are multiple doors. It's probably like five right down here in this hallway. Same way with sin. You get away from God, you get your focus off the master, you open a doorway, let sin in your life, and, and that is an avenue for multiple other doorways. The Bible says that the enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy the things of God. But God has come, Jesus has come to give you life and life more abundantly. If you will pursue his glory, God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for hope and a future. For a moment, just think of everyone that you hold dear. Think of everyone, anything you hold dear, just right, just for a moment, just, just let them cross your mind for just a second. Just begin to think of maybe your family or your spouse or your kids, your parents or your grandparents or whoever. And begin to think about the difference it would make if you were to actively pursue God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You might be the wall between the enemy or bad decisions on their part and the kingdom of God. The devil seeks to destroy all that you hold dear, all of those things that may have just crossed your mind that moment just a moment ago. But he gives you the ability to pursue him. And by doing such, you rule over it. Are you with me? Those circumstances, they don't control you. They don't determine you. God will give you power to overcome. He says you can rule it. You can master it. Will you do it this morning? Has God been, I believe that he has, by the way, but has God been prompting you? Has he been instructing you to do something in your life? Is there anything hindering you from moving forward with what God has for you? We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. If some of you are not able to stand because you have a physical impairment or, or you're tired, that's okay. So that I'm not asking everybody to stand. But if you're able to stand, would you stand with me this morning? Just very briefly, just I won't make you do calisthenics. I'm not going to make you do jumping jacks. I promise much. But uh, I just this is, a, this is a good spiritual exercise. You know, the Quakers of old, they used to have these two hand sim- signals that, that would signify, they would be symbolic of, of uh, what they wanted God to do in their life. And the first thing they would do is when they would begin to pray, is they would lift their hands up and they would surrender everything symbolically. And then they would pray, and they would, they would lower their hands like this, and they would ask to receive whatever it was that God had for them. Whatever it was, they would be willing to accept it. Are you with me this morning? I can feel the presence of the Lord here, and I strongly believe that he's been preparing hearts and lives to receive his word. I believe that God's word has never returns void. I believe that God's been, been dealing with all of us. You know, it doesn't mean it's, you know, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that you're adhering to the conviction of God that's in your life if you'll be obedient. So this morning, we're going to pray together. And we're going to begin praying. And, and if you will, I know you may feel a little silly. Maybe you've never done this before. That's all right. But just maybe just lift your hands like this and just say, God, I surrender, whatever it is, right now. Come on, lift your hands up. Come on, right now, church, lift your hands up right now. If you're at all able, some of you may not be able, that's okay. But in your heart, lift your hands, okay? In your heart, lift your hands and say, God, 
right now, just in your own way. Maybe your quiet nature, that's all right. You can be whisper under your breath. You can meditate in your heart and give things to Jesus in your heart right now. Whatever it is, you know what it is right now. Just surrender your life. Surrender it. That thing that God is calling you to do, that, that, uh, that person he's asking you to talk to, or that sin in your life that you need to master right now. Come on, just lift it up to him right now. Talk to him. He knows where you're at. God knows you like nobody. You don't know yourself like God knows you. And there's no use of trying to hide anything because it's all laid barren before him anyway. So just, just confess with your mouth whatever it is. Maybe it's a sin in your life or a problem, a financial problem or a, a family problem or an issue. Or, or just maybe you just need to, maybe you're grieving and you just need to surrender lost plans and hope to God. Maybe that's you in here this morning. Just surrender. Just right now, just give it to God. Just take your time. We've got time. Just take your time. Just give it to the Lord right now. Surrender it to him. Oh, Lord, we know that you're moving in this place, God. We know we can sense your Holy Spirit. We know that you're here, that you're ministering to hearts and lives. We know, God, that you're among us, that you care for us, that you have plans to prosper us, God, and not to harm us, plans for a hope and a future. God, we can feel your Holy Spirit here, and we know that you're among us, God. Let us not be afraid to reach out, lift our hands towards heaven and say, God, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Now, unless you've done so already, if you're able, just drop those hands in an act of receiving and just say, God, I receive. I receive, Lord. I've given, I've given some things to you guys. Surrender. And now, God, I receive what it is you have for me. Come on, right now. Just say it to him right now. Mean it in your heart, under your breath or in your heart or out loud. You know, if you're boisterous like I am and just say, God, here I am, Lord. I receive it, Lord. And I, I receive the ability to be in community with you, God, to pursue you, to be spend time in your word, God. I have all the, I want everything that you have for me, Lord God. I trust you. I want to be with you. I love you, God. I receive the good gift of salvation, Lord. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me of my sin, God. Help me to live righteously and holy. God, I, re- I receive the plans that you have for me to prosper me and not to harm me. I receive the plans for a hope and for a future. But I receive also, God, that I need to pursue you with all that I have. Lord, I am yours. Come on, give it to him. Give him right now. Give him your family. Give him your finances. Give him your burdens. Come on, right now. Give it to him. Right now. Give him your kids. Give him your grandkids. Give him your lost plans. Receive what it is that he has for you. I believe he's speaking new dreams and hope into some people's hearts this morning. I believe God's dropping new plans, new beginnings into your heart. I believe that some of you walked in this morning and you felt defamed and discouraged and like God cares and like people of the world have kicked you around. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll receive what God has for you, I really truly believe that the Lord will do something magnificent in your heart. Just begin to cry out to God. If you want to, these altars are open. If you want prayer and you need to see God at these altars, I invite you just to come forward. I believe God is speaking to some of you now even. And, and you've given some things, but maybe in your heart you're thinking to yourself, that's not enough. I believe that you're just as saved on the back row as you are in the front pew. And that's the truth. But there are some moments where you just know that I need to, I need to approach God at the altar. And if that's you this morning, I just invite you down right now. Come on, don't hesitate. Don't wait. Grab the hand of the person next to you and come down to the altar. Make an altar right here before God. Just begin to let God minister to you right here. Just come down begin to pray right now. Seek God. Come on, God's speaking to other people right now. God's ministering to you. And when I said it's time to hit the altar, in your heart you said, that's me. I need it, but you're afraid. 
I want to encourage you not to be afraid. Surrender. Give in to God right now. Come on. Come on down to the altar right now. There's no pressure on you. This is just your opportunity to really mean business with God right now.
for those who have come and have and are still praying at the altars, but uh, we do have we have a new child of God in the house tonight, and other people have accepted Christ and be themselves to the Lord, and so let's welcome them in the kingdom of God. God does have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. He does have plans for a hope in the future if you'll pursue the glory of God. Lord, we thank you for this this opportunity to gather in a free country, God, to proclaim your word and to rejoice in you, God. And we just ask right now. Lord, I, I pray for these people, that they would go out there called according to your name, that you would bless them and keep them, that your face would shine down upon them and give them peace, that they would grow in wisdom and in stature and have great favor for your kingdom, God. Let them feel compelled to pursue the glory of God in every facet of their lives. And by doing so, God, uh, they will have joy that exceeds all understanding, and they will literally be the kingdom of heaven walking from place to place. God, move your kingdom forward through this church, through these people. Thank you, God, for the work that you've done, drawing people to yourself. Continue the good work that you've started in here this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good Sunday afternoon.